Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. Well, welcome to Awkward Conversations. So let's just imagine we're just sitting together at your favorite coffee shop, and we're going to talk, okay? That's how I want you to see this. And we're going to talk about things that, uh, man, our world is talking about a lot. But our goal is a little different than the world. So I'd been a pastor. I was 19 years of age. I didn't really want to be a pastor. I thought I was going to be a veterinarian. And uh, pretty similar jobs. But anyway, uh, that's another story. Uh, I actually thought I was going to be a veterinarian. And so I really wasn't thinking about the church. And then all of a sudden my life changed. And I said, God, I'll do anything you want me to do. You just open the doors. And he did. Worked at a children's home. Life-changing. And then God opened a door for me to go to this little church to fill in. I was still coming out of rebellion. My hair was down on my shoulders and... You know, I'm just going to go down there and kind of share my testimony, and then that's it. Well, well, I finished. They said, would you come back? I said, yeah. Yeah, I don't have anything to do next week. I'll come back. And then they asked me, could they vote on me? And I was so clueless. I said, for what? I thought maybe I was running for mayor of the town. I didn't know. What, what are we voting on? We want you to be our pastor. I said, well, you, you've got a parsonage here, and I heard you were looking for a married guy. I'm not married. Nope, we like you. And they voted. Now, let me just tell you, there were only 21 people there that day. There's a little tiny church. And um, 10 of them hated the other 11, so it was a mess. But I was pastor. So I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I am a pastor of a Baptist church. And then a few weeks in, I get this call. Lady called and said, hey, uh, pastor, this is Esther. And I said, yeah. I know you, Esther. Good to, good to hear your voice. How you doing? She said, well, I need to kind of be quiet. I need to whisper. I said, why are we whispering? She said, because right now, while I'm talking to you, one of your deacons is waiting for me in my bedroom. He's already in bed. I said, um, run that by me one more time. What, what did you just say? One of your deacons is waiting to have sex with me. He's in my bedroom. I said, well, you're married to Marty. She goes, I know, but it's not Marty. And I said, well, who? One of our de- it was one of her kinfolk. And she said, I just need you to help me. I said, well, what do you want me to do? I'm 19 years old, man. I, don't, what am I-, I said, Esther, I'm not coming down there and getting killed. Over this, walk in there and tell him. That is not what a man of God does. That is not what a deacon does. And I just talked to Pastor David, and he said, get, and I started to use a word, but I didn't, get out. And she said, well, I'll try. When I hung the phone up, I said, God, what have you gotten me into? I thought I was going to be pastor of a church. I thought I was going to be pastor of people who love Jesus and who are living for Jesus. This is just like the world. 
and exactly the lesson I needed to know. So for over 44 years, 45 years now, I've pastored churches that oftentimes look just like the world. And it grieved me and it broke my heart. And so, God, what, what do we do? And God, God just reminded me, well, that's job security for you. Because <laughs> they always need a pastor. I said, but God, it's frustrating. And I don't know if I had read 1 Corinthians then, but I go back to it now. The opening verse of chapter 5, Paul actually says, <laughs> there are things happening in the church that the world wouldn't tolerate. So let's read it. First verse, chapter 5. Just the first verse. Okay? Follow along. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. Now, pagan is a word. That's the English translation of it. It's a word referring to culture or the world, people that do not follow Christ. For a man has his father's wife. Um. It could have been Esther. I don't know. But here's the, here's the thing. What in the world is the church thinking? And what Paul begins to do is try to say, guys, there ought to be a difference in the church and in the world. There ought to be a difference in the way we live, in the way we speak, in the way we care, in the way we love. I mean, everything. So much so that it becomes attractive to people looking for hope and looking for something different. But when they show up at a church and they get the same thing they got at work or the same thing they got in their neighborhood, where do, the, where, where do they turn? So Paul is going to write to us chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8. Now, I know all of us in this room have our pet sins. I don't mean the ones that we take care of. We have those too. I'm talking about the ones we love to, to just hammer. The ones we love to say, well, if we could fix that, we'd fix it. I want you to be careful because every one of us are in these chapters. And about the time you think, well, I wish they were here to hear that, all of a sudden the Spirit says, you need to hear it. So I want to I give us some parameters around this. I, I want to I give us kind of a glimpse of why it's so important that we listen and ask God to teach us through this. Let me show you in our attempt to try to articulate what we believe as a church. If you go to our webpage and you go to the section uh, about us and then go to beliefs, you will see that it's going to take you to some statements about belief. And I'm recommending this. They're, they're great. They'll help you just kind of get an idea of what it is that we believe. Now, if you go down to family, there's a couple of sentences in the first of this that I want you to listen. We teach that the family is an institution created by God. God's vision for the family is the uniting of one man, one woman, in the covenant of marriage for a lifetime. Human sexuality is a gift created for expression within the boundaries of marriage. Now, as you read that, or as you listened to me read that, that is not what the culture believes. That is not what our friends believe. It's not what our neighborhood believes. 
but it is what we believe. And so for us, we want to make sure the world understands there is a difference. And that difference is because God has this incredible plan. Look, look at this. Human sexuality is the gift created for, the, for expression within the boundaries of marriage. Well, so does that mean I can't live with somebody and have sex? That's exactly what it means. So does that mean no premarital sex? That's exactly what it means. I'm going to show you a verse in chapter 7 that when I was a teenage teenager, late teens, still in rebellion, I went to a thing where a guy was going to speak about what God allows in a, sexual, in a relationship, in a dating relationship. And the first verse he read was, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. I took the Bible and closed it and said, I'm through with this. I'm out. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. And so what I'm saying is, <laughs> there's a difference. But there is a reason there is a difference. And this is the reason. I'm going to borrow from what Paul said. This is the same address Chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8. In chapter 8, when he gets near the end, and we're going to get there, year 2025 maybe. But anyway, we're going to get there. Not that far, seriously. Look what he says to them. He says, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom are all things, and for whom we, the church, exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So in other words, the church exists from him and the church exists for him. So why shouldn't we look more like Jesus than we look like the world? He is the difference. And the reason we have found him to be that is because he created us to have this incredible life, life that is flourishing, life that is blessed, and he calls us to follow him, to show us that life. And when you find him and follow him, you will find that life. But everything else that fights against it, he will, he will fight against that. And that'll make, it'll make sense as we move through a little bit more. So here are some parameters. Here, here's some, I, I just call it a preface because I think it's things we, I want to make sure you know as we go into chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8. Number one, Scripture is the standard we'll follow. Not tradition. Not what we grew up. Not what mama taught us. Not what daddy taught us. Not what the world is saying. Our goal is simply Scripture will be the standard. Now, that means that we might have to struggle with some passages, and there are definitely some in this section, that we got to figure out and work through, and we're going to come to believe what, what, what is it that you're saying, God? But there shouldn't be any doubt in anybody's mind that the standard for us is going to be what God has said. The culture changes. The world changes. His Word stands forever. And so we will follow as best we can, what his word teaches. Second thing, these chapters are very disruptive. They're very controversial. Let me explain that. In the next few weeks, you're going to find yourself bristling up. You're going to find yourself going, I don't know. I, I don't like that. Here's what I want you to do. 
When you read something or hear something that causes that reaction, ask the Lord, why do I feel this way? It might be that God is wanting to show you something that you have had in the lens through which you see your life that might need to be removed. And you could see clearly. So when you bristle, when you resist, it's okay. That's part of the growth process. That, that's how we all grow, is to be uncomfortable. That's why we call it awkward conversations. For some of you, there's going to be conviction. You're going to just say, you know what? I'm not living that way. And I got some things I need to change. Good for you. Because you're going to find that life that's flourishing. You're going to find that abundant life that he wants you to have. For some, it's going to bring up painful things. I can't tell you how many people I've met with that the church hurt them, wounded them. I've met with people that, that took them forever to come in and see me. You know why? Because they had been hurt by pastors, sexually hurt by pastors. The unthinkable. And I, I, I'm just, I'm, again, I thought I should have gotten over that, that first week in the pastorate. A lot of stuff happens in churches. So for some of you, it may raise these things again, and it's painful. For some of you, it may be just a place where you're going, you know what? I've been very angry with the church. I've been very angry with, you know, with what's happened in the world, and, and this is going to help me to heal. Can I just tell you there's no better place to heal than in the body of Christ? This is the place to have the awkward conversation. This is the place for us to wrestle together with what is it that God is saying to us. Third thing, these chapters have been weaponized by Satan and by the church. Satan wants to beat you up with these passages. He wants, you to, to, he wants to show you how far off you are. He, it's just crazy. His attacking, he's, he's the accuser of the brethren, the scripture calls him. He wants to accuse you and say, you don't even have a chance. You've messed up your life already. You don't have a chance. Why are you even trying to follow Christ? Why are you even in a church? Look at everything you've done. You're going to feel that. And he will use Scripture, just like he did with Jesus in the temptations. He'll use Scripture to try to convince you, no, you ain't got a chance. Yes, you do. Can I introduce you to a word that I want you to be very aware of? It's the word stronghold. The, the word stronghold is used 50 times in the Bible. That's a lot. You know what a stronghold is? It's an area in your life that you won't let anybody touch. It's an area in your life. It could be a habit. could be a, an action. I mean, it, it could be a thought pattern, whatever. But you won't let any light in. And what Satan loves to do is get that stronghold. For he's got you. And I can tell you, for many relationships, the whole world of relationships, the stronghold will be in a sexual area. And we're going to talk about it. I mean, that's why we encourage you. And if you have children, you know, you might not want to have them in here just because of the conversations that that will bring. But I'm telling you, there are strongholds in this room. There are strongholds of pornography. There are strongholds of addiction to things. There are strongholds of extramarital affairs. I mean, there's all kinds of strongholds. It's just a part of our life. We're good in everything else. I mean, I, I love the chorus that, 
that he led us in Jari. And I told him when he went off stage, I said, man, that course changed my life. That course we sing, he is Lord, he is Lord, he has risen from the dead, he is Lord. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess. Here's, here's what I learned about that. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Meaning every area of your life. So this, I don't want Satan to beat you up with this. I want you to let the light shine in that stronghold and let Jesus set you free and become who God is calling us to become because that's where life is. That's where we flourish. Now, the other side of it, Christians use this to beat people up. Oh, my goodness. We've used these, these passages to beat the world up and to tell the world you're going to hell in a handbasket and you ain't got a chance in the world. And the whole point of the church is not to beat up the world with passages like this. It's to win the world to Christ and to see grace. That's the word we got to remember. So don't use these verses. Some Christians use them to set up a false standard of their religiosity, and they want everybody else to know, well, I don't ever do that. I don't do that. We get chapter 8. It's about eating meat, sacrifice idols. Paul said some do, some don't. But quit looking at one another like you're wrong. We'll get, we'll talk about wine. Well, man, I had a glass of wine and the pastor told me I was going to hell. Well, you're not going to hell. Okay? But yet we will use scriptures to beat one another up because we've created a false sense of religion. And all that is, is a Pharisee. All it is, is legalism. And the world will never be won to Christ by legalism. It'll be won by grace in the Lord Jesus. And so for me, I think there's warnings on both sides. And then a fourth thing, there are two goals for these chapters. And you're going to see it in the chapters. It's amazing how Paul weaves it in. Number one, and most importantly, salvation. The goal of reading texts like this is salvation. Do you know Christ? Have you come in a relationship with Jesus? Because can I just be as honest as I can? We think the issue is whether they're gay. The issue is whether they had an affair. The issue is whether they're addicted to pornography. Or the issue is or they're, they're codependent or whatever terms, whatever thing we want to. No. Their greatest issue is they need Jesus Christ. The most important step is to become a follower of Christ. Belief leads to behavior changes. It doesn't work the other way around. We want the behavior to start first. It doesn't start that way. Belief comes first. So the goal of Paul writing this is to bring us to a place where then we begin to change from the inside out. So salvation. But the second thing, sanctification. That means to grow in Christ. And you'll see him as he's encouraging Christians to follow and Christians to grow and to take steps. I, I'm going to make a statement that was made to me. And I, the more I think about it, I didn't like it when I first heard it. But the more I, I, I think about it, the more I think there's truth. There are people that we're trying to get sanctified that first need to get saved. Now, what do I mean by that? You're never going to become more like Jesus when you don't even know Jesus. And so you have to make sure the order is salvation first. Then 
What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does that look like? And we take those steps. Because remember, he's got the plan. He's the designer of life. He's the designer of everything. Salvation is all about us coming back to what he intended in the beginning. And the fact that he's got a home waiting on us one day. And so what I would say is that Father, the Father, our Father, is going to fight anything that's going to hurt you. He's going to stand against anything. Any parent in this room would defend their children in a heartbeat. Some of my worst moments was when I was defending my children because I got out of control. And, and they let me know. But that's so, that's our God. He's jealous for you. You ever heard that term? Jealous? All through the Bible says he's jealous for us. But guys, that's a good thing. That means he wants us for himself because he's the one who made us and created us and saved us. And therefore, he's got a plan that's unbelievable. Amen? So that's the goal. Every one of these we move through. Now, two questions. First of all, as we work our way through, what is your ultimate authority? Because you have to think this way about everything. When you see him talking about the court system... We have a chapter in here, chapter 6, that is going to hit so weirdly. Is that a word? I mean, is that appropriate? Every other commercial, if you watch cable or most anything, is an ad on how you can sue somebody. Okay? Let's just be honest. I mean, it's, it's the world we live in. I'm not going to mention names. But you can call mm, and mm, and they'll help you, Okay? <laughs> It's all, about, it's all about suing. You're going to hear him say, Christians, stop it. There's a better way. So how do we process that when we've got a situation where we could sue somebody? What are the steps we go through to find the ultimate authority? Because I doubt it's a commercial on TV. At least I hope it's not a commercial on TV is your authority. Second thing. What is the goal of your life? What is it you want at the end of your life? What, it, what is it you want said about you? What's your goal? So those two questions, let's start with the first one. What is your ultimate authority? I'm going to show you some words. This is a process, okay? And it's going to help us all the way through. First, the eternal. That's referring to something bigger than us, something that transcends culture, something that transcends time. And you feel like there is wisdom in that, that source, whatever that is. Now, it's very clear for me and for Paul, it's him. It's God. And so if that is your ultimate source of authority, then obviously the thing you want to do is you want this book. You want to read, man, what does he say about this? And you want to know what he said because that's the source of your, th that's the ultimate authority for you. The good part of that is that that's awesome. The bad part is you have to know him. You have to spend time in his word to get that figured out. There's some people, though, that have said, no, I don't, I don't really think that is my authority. They've rejected a version of God. In fact, it's probably a version most of us would reject if we were honest. I like what Tim Keller said. He said, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. 
You see, I want a God bigger than me. And I want something that transcends culture. And so the eternal is the first word. It's when you look up for an answer. Number two is external. What do my friends say? What's social media saying? What's TikTok say before they get banned? Uh, what is Facebook? What, what's, what's all the people around me? What do they say about this? And so you go and you get word. What about tradition? What does my church tradition say? What does my family tradition say? So you turn outward to those that are around you. What does the culture say? And then the third one, internal. Oh, boy. What's your gut feeling? What's your heart say? And we live in a culture that has two mantras. Do you. Do you. What that means is just follow your heart. And that's the second mantra. Follow your heart. Do you means you have your own truth. You do what you feel is true. And man, when you say that in a speech wherein you're accepting an Oscar, the room comes alive in applause. When you say that at a rally, people go crazy. That is so dangerous. Can I tell you why? What that's saying is that I'm willing to follow a heart that has been broken and that is not trustworthy. And we're never told to follow our heart in Scripture. Never. Now, this fit well in Corinth because the Greeks, that's what they did. Greek philosophers, man, they made a lot of this. They said, look inside. The truth is inside. You reach inside and you find that truth. And so they would turn in inward. Gnosticism, which is a big word, but it was a group that fought Paul constantly. Gnostics taught that you are the only one that can know the truth and it's inside of you. So don't listen to what Paul's saying. You look inward. And the danger of that is very simple. Your heart was never intended to be followed, but intended to be led. In fact, the way Piper puts it is this. Our hearts were never designed to be followed, but to be led. Our hearts were never designed to be gods in whom we believe. They were designed to believe in God. And you know why that is? A simple verse. We could choose one of many, but I chose Jeremiah 17 in the Old Testament. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, how many of you, if you were in a relationship and all you could determine about this person you were in a relationship with is that they were deceitful above all things and desperately sick, how many of you would stay in that relationship? I mean, who would? How do we follow a heart that is sick? But you know what we can do? We can lead our heart based on the truth. So here's the way this goes. A Christ follower starts here and then moves to here. And last is what your gut says, what your heart says. Let me give you a practical example. Okay, you're at work. And a coworker does something to you that's wrong. It's wrong. Not criminal, but just wrong. Really offensive. Now you're thinking, okay, what am I going to do? 
you have a choice to make. You're going to start here? Well, I know what I'm going to do because this is what my gut's telling me. Hmm. Or do you start here? I wonder what my friends would tell me to do. I know what they're going to tell you to do. Your friends love the schoolyard fight. That's what your friends like. And they're going to tell you the way to handle that. But what if you started there? It would change the whole thing. Because you learn there about forgiveness. You learn there about vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He'll take care of it. It's because you started there. You start here and work up. It's the opposite of what Christ taught. The Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. Blessed are you when you... Blessed are these. Blessed are those. You know how he starts it? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That's backward. No, it isn't. It's this. But we want the other way. <laughs> we want... No, blessed are rich, the rich. How about this? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You see, Jesus was so good at turning things upside down. But maybe that's what Paul meant when he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's not me. It's Christ who's living in me. And the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I'm going to live my life this way. So when we come to a difficult passage, when we come to a difficult issue, it could be in one of the sexual issues it could be a relational issue it could be a lot because they'll cover a lot of them hey we're going to work this way so what what does what does he say what does God say to us and then we move through it anytime we start here or here it's dangerous second question what is your goal in life what do you want more than anything else? The Greeks called it the sumum bonum. That's a Latin phrase. Cicero was the one who actually coined that, but he was describing philosophy. The Greeks loved to talk about sumum bonum. What's the highest good? What's the highest good? What is the most important thing in your life? What is it that you will do at all costs? Okay, Epicureans. You remember Epicureans? If you've ever heard the, the term, Epicureans taught that pleasure is the highest good. So eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow you may die. Pleasure means everything. The Stoics taught virtue was the highest good. Be virtuous. What do you think the highest good is for you? Because it's going to matter how you deal with these truths. I think it's simple. The highest good of any of us is to glorify God. It's very simple. That's why we were created. That's why we exist. I'll take you back where we started. Paul says it in chapter 8. Hey, for whom we exist, that's God. Through whom we exist, that's God. So for me, the goal of my life is to glorify God. That's it. Not please me. Not please you. Not the external. Not the internal. But the eternal. Glorify God. And I know some of you are going, but what about my good? What about things that I like? Somewhere we got sold a lie that God's glory is mutually exclusive with our good. Like in other words, if you're going to glorify God, then sorry, you've got to be a martyr. 
you, you got to suffer all kinds of stuff and give up all kinds of stuff and all that. Where is that in this book? What I am taught in this book is when you follow Christ, he gives abundant life. When you follow the enemy, he came to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus came to set free. So God's glory is not mutually exclusive of our good. In fact, let me quote Piper again. You will find, you will discover the glorious truth that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. When you have God's glory at the top, the summum bonum, the most important thing, you'll be shocked at how your life changes and the good that comes your way. Because after all, He is the giver of all good gifts. He is the creator and sustainer. He's the one who gave you life. Why not say, God, more than anything else, I want you to be glorified. So, as we move through, I think today would be a good day to begin just praying, Lord, I want you to open my mind and my heart. Lord, I don't want to follow tradition. I don't want to follow the external. I don't want to follow even internally what I... God, I, I really want to hear from you. I want to know what you think. So could we just, right now, just say, God, that's what we're asking. I want us to pray. You're on the stream, and we're glad you are. Pray with us that God will open our minds, and, and he'll show us. Now, before we pray, if you've never put your faith in Christ, and you've never said, Jesus, I, I want to follow you, and, and I know you are the Messiah, and you are life, can I encourage you to take that step today? Scripture says, whoever calls on him, they shall be saved. That's where life really begins. And it's going to make a, make a lot more sense when Jesus is in your life as the Lord of your life. And so I want to encourage you. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. And I want to follow you. And you show me whatever I need to know and do. And I will do it. And I will follow. And I kind of want all of us to pray that right now. So could we bow our heads and just right there where you are. And you know what you're dealing with. You know the stuff that's going on in your life. I just want you to say, God, I'm, I need to hear from you. I really want to know. Because for me, God, the eternal is the most important perspective. Just tell him that. It matters to me, God, what you want. God, can I just thank you for a church that wants to be more like you? And a church that understands that we're not to be like the world. We're to love the world. But we're not to be like the world. And so help us to navigate that. Because it's so hard. And I pray that we do it in a way that's winsome, a way that, that is attractive when, when our friends see our life and see how things go with us. They're not repulsed. They're drawn by your Spirit. So, Lord, we want to be that church. And I pray that you will open our minds and our hearts 
and teach us in these days. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you uh, want to take the next step with us, you want to find out more about following Christ or really anything about the spiritual journey, you can text us, text the word CONNECT to 407-77. By the way, last weekend, we had over 100 people, 115 people that texted the name Jesus to say, I want to know more about following Christ. I just think that's amazing. And we got, we got to give thanks to the Lord for that. And so I know you're sitting there going, wow, well, that, this wasn't too awkward. No, it wasn't. But come next week, it might get that. God bless you. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.